The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. Uh, this is going to be show one of a series that I'm starting, Big Issues Facing Small Contractors. And I, I spoke a week or so back at uh, uh, an absolutely marvelous event put on by the National Veterans Small Business Coalition. So I thought I'd bring my friend uh, Scott Denniston in. Uh, we, we've known each other now for about 15 years. Uh, and it's funny, Scott, how we met. Thank you for coming in first. Mark, happy to. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, so we, we met um, in an odd way. I got a call in the spring of 05 from Richmond, and a guy, a friend of mine, saying, you should be here. And I said, why? And he says, because the veteran Ostabu standing on stage holding up your book saying, I have no clue who this guy is, but you got to get this book. So Scott was holding up my uh, government marketing best practices. And and thank you for that commercial after. <laughs> You're more than welcome. Wouldn't um, have done it if it wasn't a good book. Well, thank you. Um, still still working on the follow-up version, uh, but there's so many things you can do. So how the heck are you? Doing great. Doing great. You know, I retired from the VA um, after 20 years as the Osbu director. It was a great ride. Part of that, the the second half was by far the most rewarding, and that's because after Desert Storm, Desert Shield, it was sexy to be a veteran again. And one of the things that Congress did was establish a commission to look at veterans' benefits and did they meet the needs of today's veterans, given the fact that most veterans' benefits went back to the original GI Bill from World War II. Right. And one of the provisions of that was, should there be an entrepreneurial program for veterans, and if so, what should it look like? So I had the privilege of working on that commission for two years. Uh, we had hearings around the country, talked to a lot of veteran small business owners about what are the challenges you're facing, and tried to design some some programs and some opportunities for those veterans, particularly in the federal marketplace. And the very first law that was passed as a result of that commission report was actually the law that established the veteran 3% goal. It established an Office of Veterans Affairs at the SBA. And from there, it's been a great ride. After that, we uh, we worked on legislation to actually give us the set-aside authority, which all agencies have now to set aside contract opportunities for veterans if the market research shows that two or more will, will submit offers. And then from there, we went to what we call the Vets First program at VA, which is very specific and gives VA a hierarchy of working first with veteran service-disabled vets and then veterans and then the other subcategories of small business, other small businesses, and then everything else. So that was a that was a great time to be the Ostabu director at VA. Yeah, and, you know, from from all reports, and I get feedback on all of the Ostabu offices, uh, you and Bo Shears uh, were top of the uh, top of the heap is, is on, on Ostabu's, and, and Kevin is now just getting ready to retire. Yes, it, it's uh, it's going to be a big loss to the small business community to have Kevin go because, as you said, Mark, he's uh, one of the primary advocates. He did a wonderful job of 
coordinating all those disparate pieces to de- to become the Department of Homeland Security right. when that was formed. agencies or something. Yes. Yeah. And Ke- Kevin's done a marvelous job. Yeah. Um, so, as you know, I get a lot of calls from people right. who are, you know, just literally fresh off the boat, if you will, coming into the market. So I get a call from this guy from San Antonio who's starting. He's he's an SDVOSB. He's in a hub zone, uh, and he's going for 8A, and, and he doesn't have a clue, right? So he send me this laundry list of NAICS codes, uh, et cetera, uh, and, and he says, well, you know, what should I do, basically? So um, I introduced him first to Anthony Ruiz, uh, the SBA guy in mm-hmm. San Antonio. I've known Anthony for a really long time, and, and I like him and I trust him. So I asked him to do some mentoring offline for this guy. Um, and and oddly enough, um, NVSBC is holding its annual conference next year in San Antonio. You're right, we <laughs> which, are. Which is cool. So I said, <laughs> you got to join us, uh, uh, the, the NVSBC, National Veterans Small Business Coalition, and uh, start going to the AFCA Alamo chapter meetings uh, to see if you can find a mentor there as well. So um, you guys are just starting, not not just starting, but you have some chapters around the country, right? We do. Um, as you know from last week, we have a, a very active chapter here in the Washington, D.C. area. Oh, yeah. Meets the <laughs> second Wednesday of uh, of every month, and we think we we do a pretty good job. We start out with a boot camp that is run by our program manager Judy Bront, who everybody in the D.C. area knows is great with business development. And thank you for being one of the guest speakers. And then we'll have have dinner, and then we we, we have a speaker, and those are very very successful. Um, events once a month we sell out at 150 because that's all the room will hold and it's what's fun about it is to see the networking that goes on in, at that event and to see one of the unique things about the veteran community and I think it goes back to that warrior ethos of leave no one behind that where in other situations you may see someone as a competitor what happens when you see them at a, at a veterans event? You more see them as a teammate. Right. And we, we have a lot of opportunities that people will stand up and say, hey, I'm, I need a, a partner that has these capabilities. If you're interested, give me your business card. And that happens just about every meeting. So we now, besides Washington, D.C., um, who it's headed by Scott Semple, who's one of the co-chairs of the Washington chapter, we now have chapters in Tampa that meet once a month. We have a chapter in South Florida, usually meets between Miami and Fort Lauderdale. Just last week after our D.C. dinner, I flew to Denver and spoke at the, the kickoff event of the Denver chapter. And our goal for additional chapters for the coming year are Huntsville and San Antonio. So we're excited about that. And the reason that the... The chapters are so critical as, as you know, most small businesses don't do work nationwide. Right. They do work in their local area. So what we want to do is we want to have a climate where we have provided an opportunity for veterans to come in and talk to decision makers. Um, Chris Harrington, who is the small business director 
down at uh, McDill Air Force Base for Special Ops Command, comes to our dinners every month and has been a speaker in the Tampa chapter particularly and also in South Florida. And it's people like that that veteran small businesses need to know to be successful in their local area. Right. Get the opportunities. Let's go back to that guy from San Antonio. So I told him to uh, hook up with Anthony because Anthony, I I also told him to get educated at at the local PTAC. Now, PTACs um, can be really good or they can be kind of so-so. And I don't know anything about the San Antonio PTAC. uh, So I, I know he's at least going to get a basic education there. So I told him to do the AFCA, NVSBC, the PTAC, and get with Anthony. What did I miss? Probably the the key thing that you missed was the veteran business outreach centers that are funded by SBA. There's a number of them around the country. I want to I want to say twenty, but don't don't hold me to that. But they cover every state. So as an example, we have uh, two in Virginia. We have one in Norfolk that covers uh, that part of Virginia and North Carolina. There's another one here in Springfield, Virginia that covers West Virginia and the western part of Pennsylvania. So they they have geographic territories, but those folks are paid for by the SBA and some local and state funding. But the beauty is, is that they know of the opportunities for veterans in their local areas. And when I was at VA and after I left, I was surprised. In fact, I just had a call last week from a veteran who said, hey, I hear that there's this program in the government to give contracts to veterans. What kind of business should I start? And my answer to him always is, would you want me picking your spouse? And, of course, then there's always dead silence on the phone. And I say, you got to realize that having a small business. Can I use that? Yeah, absolutely. But having a small business is not about getting rich quick, which a lot of people think is the case, right? Lucrative government contracts. Yeah. Where are those? Well, yeah, a lot of work, a lot of effort, and – if you don't have passion for your business, you're not going to be successful. The other, the other issue that we have in the veteran community is a lot of veterans think that these are entitlement programs like we have with your home loans, your education benefits, your health care, right. and all those other things that the Department of Veterans Affairs does. This is not an entitlement program. No one is entitled to a contract. What these programs do is they level the playing field so you're competing against people who have like resources, like backgrounds, like cap- capabilities. So it's one of the things that I impress upon people all the time. There's no such thing as a guaranteed lunch here. Yeah. All right. We're going to take our first break. Uh, you're listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here with Scott Denniston of the National Veterans Small Business Coalition, nvsbc.org? Correct. There you go. So nvsbc.org. And you don't have to be a, uh, a veteran to to uh, to go to these meetings. I would strongly suggest that if you're looking for small biz vet partners that you uh, you attend. I, I, I had an absolute blast at that event. Anyway, we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Um, I'm here today with Scott Denniston of the National Veterans Small Business Coalition. Find Scott on LinkedIn. If you have anything to do with the veteran business community, Scott is somebody you need to know. 
So I suggest that you reach out to him uh, primarily through LinkedIn or through the association nvsbc.org. Um, I'm assuming you don't mind me saying. No, not at all. Scott. Either one will work. So yeah. happy to give my email, which is scott.deniston, D-E-N-N-I-S-T-O-N, at nvsbc.org. There you go. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, one one more Amtower story here. I, I got a million. You know that. Um, so do you. You tell some good ones. Um, so I'm at, a, I'm at the soup 25th anniversary party, and uh, I meet this guy, SDVOSB, HubZone, um, and, and 8A. So he's got the trifecta, mm-hmm. right? Um, and he's, he's doing adequate, okay? Million, million and a half dollars. Uh, it's a very small company, obviously. Uh, but his biggest issue, and he is very, believe me, very upfront on it, he'll be on the show in a couple of weeks, um, is funding issues. And this is one that I've heard since day one when I opened my shop back in the 80s, funding for small biz. Uh, so talk talk to me from the the veteran aspect of of how do you acquire funding without, you know, giving up your firstborn and mortgaging your home for the fourth time. Interestingly enough, most veteran small businesses generally start through family, friends, and personal credit cards. The problem is, is that is a very finite resource. Yep. So then the question becomes, okay, now that I've, I've used all of that up, where do I go from here? And, Within the government space, uh, the SBA, uh, Small Business Administration, has programs specifically for veterans. Uh, the first is what they call the, the SBA Veteran Advantage Program, which is traditional a, a traditional what SBA calls a 7A loan program. What it does is there's reduced fees to the banks, as I understand it, um, for, for veterans. And generally... The reason banks like these kinds of loans is because they're guaranteed by the federal government. So if you as a veteran default, the bank's still going to get their money. And most banks around the country work with the SBA. On the SBA website, they actually have uh, something um, called Lender Match, where you can identify in your geographic area the banks that work the SBA programs. A lot of the small banks in the community banks are very, very high on the, uh, the, the, the veteran small business programs using the SBA guarantee. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage people to look at that. The other thing to do is banking and loans are still about relationships and about trust. So if you've got a bank that you're working with now, go in and talk to that local banker. See what the options are. See if they use the SBA program. Um, because generally you're going to find that if it's a reasonably good-sized bank, they're going to use one of the SBA programs. SBA also has a a program if you have, and this has impacted a lot of veteran small businesses, VAT has a business, gets deployed because he's still in the Guard or Reserve and has has to leave on deployment. What happens to the business? So SBA has a economic injury loan program for businesses that are impacted by our guard or reserve deployment. And I know that there's been many, many small businesses around the country that have been saved because of that program. So that that's another one. 
the the interesting thing about today is there's an awful lot of non-government financing available. Yep. Uh, you know, one of the hot areas in, uh, in in the financing world today is what's called crowdfunding. There's actually an organization in uh, Reston, Virginia called Street Shares and run by a bunch of, of veterans who have that Wall Street experience. And what they do is they put together um, funding from individuals, Mark, like you and I, who have some money to invest. And then they package that together and loan that to veteran small businesses. And they've been very successful. So if you're a business, it's a, another opportunity um, with a non-traditional lender. And they've got a lot more flexibilities in their, their terms and their application process than an SBA does, in example. The other thing, if, if, if you have money to invest, they guarantee you 5% return on your money every year. And you know what, what kind of what you get in banks, right? Yeah. The other one is is there's organizations that do what what I call boutique funding. And this is really important when you're doing federal contracting because you have lags in payment. A lot of times you need a letter of commitment in order to put together a proposal to give to the government. So one of the ones that, that we recommend is Republic Capital Access in Herndon. Um Ed Stuckey has put together a, a great operation out there. Uh, where they do good work helping veterans, particularly the one that you talked about, whereas he's growing, he's having problems financing that. And they've got a number of different programs to help veterans over that hump. Okay. Are, do any of these apply to non-veteran smalls? Yeah, uh, all except for street shares. Street shares okay. focuses on vets. on veterans. Yeah. Um, yeah, Republic Capital will um, help someone who's not a veteran, but 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 Ed is uh, is very veteran focused. And if if you said to me what's his number one, I'd say it's veterans. Okay, let's migrate. Okay, um, we we uh, when was the first time you bought something online? Let me say this. I don't do much of that, but my wife is Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was addicted to eBay for a little while. I do. I buy my shoes on Amazon because uh, I know exactly what I want in my walking shoes. I'm wearing them right now. Uh, love my New Balance 608s. All right. So, uh, um, and, I, and I walk a lot. I need to walk a lot. Uh, but, you know... The, the online thing, you guys have started something called uh, the GoVets Electronic Ordering Platform. So explain to me what it is and where you're going with this thing. Yeah, happy to. We're really excited about, about the GoVets platform. And if you remember the, the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act for 2017, uh, requires GSA and OMB to analyze existing electronic ordering platforms, do some pilots, see if they fit in the government marketplace. So obviously the biggest one around is Amazon. And so we had some discussions with Amazon and it became apparent to us fairly quickly that it was going to be very difficult for small businesses to be competitive on Amazon because of the fees that they charge. So... We uh, kind of came back and uh, regrouped a little bit. When I say we, I'm talking about the National Veterans Small Business Coalition. 
And one of our members, Veradix, um, down in uh, Indian Beach, Florida, is an IT firm. They are well-versed in how the VA buys. And they actually manage the, the, the catalog for the VA prime vendor formulary for medical products. And what we've done together is we have put together a electronic ordering platform that right now is limited only to service-disabled vets that have been verified by the Department of Veterans Affairs. And as a footnote, I would encourage any veteran business that wants to do business with the federal government to get verified by the VA because it's the good housekeeping seal of approval. Technically, you only need the verification if you're going to do work with FAA or the VA. But when you go to other agencies, they're always going to question whether or not you're a legitimate business unless you have that CVE verification. So I would encourage every veteran business that wants to do business with the federal government to get verified by the VA. So, so back to, to GoVets, we currently have 60-plus service-disabled vets who have put their catalogs onto the GoVets platform. We have over 60,000 items on that platform. Uh, we're in the process of uh, putting more on. We have a goal of, by the end of this calendar year, having a million products on the platform where federal agencies and large business prime contractors can come to GoVets and order product from verified service-disabled vets using just their purchase card. So we're real excited about it. it it's a secure um, platform. Shipping is free, and you know the the government recently raised the micro purchase threshold from thirty five hundred to ten thousand. Oh yeah! So we see this as huge, and there there's also some provisions that say if you do buys using an electronic ordering platform, that that ten thousand then goes up to twenty five. Mm-hmm. So we see this as having tremendous potential, um, not only at VA, and we as we were designing the system, we did it for VA because of the large number of members that we have that are distributors of medical surgical products. Sure. And, you know, if you talk to VA, they say they need 300,000 discrete products to run a um, full-scale hospital. Right. And so we're we're trying to help them get those products. Okay, cool. So how how do they get in touch with – with the people running that, do they go through NVSBC? Uh, we, we we don't have a requirement that they be an NVSBC member, but we we ask that they join. Okay. Now let's let's talk go vets to to reach I, go. Let's, let's let's take a break. We'll pick this up right after okay. the break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back, Dam Tower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here with Scott Deniston. Scott, pick it up. <clears throat> So before we went on break, you asked how you learn about GoVets. The website is www.govets, G-O-V-E-T-S, no space, dot com. And we've got a great help desk. We, we will help you as a verified veteran-owned business get all of your products on, explain to you how the system works. We will explain the, the pricing issues. Uh, and again, as I said, we don't, require you to be an NBSBC member, but we've put in a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into this as has has Veradix. So we don't think that $295 to join the NBSBC is asking too much given right. this market that we're expanding. Yeah. 
Okay, so um, so let's let's migrate on to um, um, some other other issues around the the vets, particularly uh, how vets can do business with the government. I mean, if you go to the GSA e library, you can download the thing, and there's all the set aside categories. There's a veteran owned, there's a disabled veteran owned, woman owned, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I don't know how much of schedules are used to meet the the set aside quotients. Um let's let's talk for a few minutes about the vets GWAC. What what's your take on it? I think it's got tremendous opportunity. Okay. Uh and, and before we finish, I want to talk uh about the NVSBC and why we started it and what we do. Oh yeah, we're gonna go. Okay. There. But yeah. um back to your question about the vets GWAC. If if you remember, President Bush signed executive order thirteen three sixty which at that time, very few of the federal agencies were making that 3% goal for service-disabled vets. Goal was the key word. Yes. And so what that executive order did was it established responsibilities for different agencies. SBA had a role to play in that. We had a role at the VA to play in that. And GSA did. And GSA's role was to establish a government-wide acquisition contract at GWAC for information technology services restricted to service-disabled vets. So that was the, the, the vets GWAC one, if you will. Right. And so one of the things that we did in the NVSBC when that contract was going down, and it was doing great, the problem was most of the opportunities were coming from the VA. And then VA started to develop its own contract vehicles. So the amount of work on the vets GWAC decline. So what we did is we partnered with the General Services Administration to actually go out and market that vehicle to the other federal agencies. And we we had some success at places like NASA and the Army. The dilemma we had was it was nearing the end of the contract period. Right. So when GSA announced and then awarded the VETS 2 GWAC, which is the current one, we got together um, within the NVSBC and our members who have that, that that contract award, and we've got 35 of them, said, let's get together and help GSA market this contract vehicle the way we did previously. So we meet with GSA every month and talk about what agencies are expressing an interest. These are agencies where we think we have an opportunity. So we'll go in and we will market the small business people, the contracting people, and the IT program people as to the capabilities of all the companies on the VETS2 GWAC. And then what happens after that, then GSA comes in and actually does the contract training because each contracting officer that wants to use the VETS GWAC has to be trained and certified by the GSA to use the vehicle. And that process is starting. I'll admit it's slow um, because of all the end-of-the-year stuff that everybody was getting wrapped up in. Sure. But we have, we have great expectations that the VETS 2 GWAC, because it's what the government now calls best-in-class contract right. and has some really great companies on it with good, strong capabilities, we think we can help GSA make this contract vehicle a real winner. Okay, but it, it's open to all VETS, not just service-disabled. I believe it was just service-disabled, okay. but don't quote me on that. Okay. I, I wasn't sure. I was guessing. Uh, I'm sure we'll get some information from Mr. Timberlake and others regarding that. Maybe Mary Davy will weigh in. Who knows? Um, but uh, let, let's back up to your your other point. Why did you start the uh, NVSBC? 
When I was at VA as the director of small business programs, and then after I left the VA and started my own private consulting company, the, I would have the veterans. Scott group. The Scott Group of Virginia. Yes, thank you. I would have yeah. veterans that would be very frustrated about either an acquisition strategy that an agency was using that didn't provide opportunities for service-disabled vets. Um, Veterans would complain about a policy that an agency had in place. And quite frankly, because of my background at VA, I had a lot of large businesses that would call me and say, can you help me find a veteran or service-disabled vet subcontractor who can do X, Y, and Z? So to the veterans, I would say, how do the big guys fight these issues, right? They form nonprofit trade associations. Just look in the phone book here around town. You mentioned FCA, right? NDIA, SAMI, the list goes on. And what all those organizations have in common is that they try to be the honest broker of conversations between the federal government, large business, and small business. So there there were six of them that I said, hey, if you guys are really serious about this, Let's form an organization. So on June 10th, 2010, uh, the National Veteran Small Business Coalition was formed. Today now, um, eight years later, we're the largest in the country. We have over 500 members. We have corporate members with people like Northrop and BAE and SAIC and Boeing who support us very, very well. Uh, We have a, a newsletter that goes out every month to our members called First Call where we highlight issues that service-disabled vets and veterans need to know about if they're going to be successful in the federal marketplace. We have a, uh, a coaching program that we do where we have very successful members, some of whom now are exceeding all their size standards, who are now giving back to startup companies. We, have, we use what's called GovMates platform, which is where our members put their capabilities in. And then when agencies and prime contractors have a need for a service-disabled vet or veteran-owned business, mm-hmm. we use the GovMates platform to do matches and introductions to the people that are looking for the people to do the work. That's been incredibly successful. A real shout-out to Stephanie Alexander and Katie Bilek, who put that together. and God bless them. They did it with their own money. Um, we also... As we mentioned, we're starting the chapters around the country. Um, Most of my role is advocacy here in the D.C. area, dealing with the agencies in the Hill and that kind of thing. But we also have a national training conference. And this year, it's VETS 19. It's going to be in San Antonio, May 29th through the 31st, 2019. One of the things that we started a couple of years ago that was an idea of one of our members, uh, Lynette Planto, is a scholarship program. And that scholarship program has given startup businesses like the folks that you mentioned Mm -hmm. an opportunity to come. Now, the beauty of the VETS events are we get support from all the federal agencies and the prime contractors. So in one location, in one week, you have an opportunity to network and meet people that it would take you more than a year to do if you try to do it on your own. How many base activities are around San Antonio? Oh, my gosh. I couldn't even count. The, the other beauty be is – a few primes. Yeah. The other beauty is we, we get really good keynote speakers to come in and talk about the trends in the federal marketplace and, and what's happening. Um, we also will do then specific workshops on different topics. We have 
the an exhibit hall. We do one-on-one matchmaking. Um, we have uh, actually have a meeting next week. We're going to try to do some kind of fun, unique things in San Antonio next year. But I love that town. Yeah, a great place. But it's a, it's a great opportunity to come and learn. And probably more than anything else, it's network with other service-disabled vets. And as I said before, the camaraderie in the veteran community that has been established is like nothing I've ever seen in my 40 years of doing small business work in the federal government. There ain't nothing like networking with peers. No, there really Period, isn't. You know, yeah. and, and there, there are n- not enough. I talked about this when I was talking to your people. Find the venues mm-hmm. where you can network with your peers and, you know, find a mentor, uh, share ideas, et cetera. Uh, so you can find out about the conference at nvsbc.org. Um, we're going to take our last break, and I'm going to come back with Scott, and we're going to talk about some other issues facing uh, uh, veteran-owned businesses, particularly service-disabled veteran-owned businesses. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. And again, this is show number one of big issues facing small contractors. Back after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here today with uh, with Scott Denniston. Uh, Scott was kind enough to kick off my uh, big issues for facing small contractors uh, series. This this will be one of probably seven or eight shows facing various problems for small contractors. Um, and, and to that end, um, we, we, we've always had an issue for small businesses, regardless of uh, set-aside status or, you know, if they're just small. And that's access to decision makers. You know, one of the, the, the big misconceptions, particularly in this electronic world that we're in, is that if you uh, have a small business and you send somebody an email with your marketing slick, that's going to get you work. The thing that small businesses have to realize is that the people in the government, whether they be the contracting officers or the program officials that are making the decisions as to who gets contracts, work in the government the same way they do when they're selling their own when they're buying their own private stuff like like you on uh, on eBay, right? right. They want to know that they're going to get a product and they want to know or a service. They want to know that they can trust the person and that the person's going to deliver what they said under budget and on time. And people in the government are conservative by nature. I, I, I think sometimes the government um, is its own worst enemy. Think about the fact that you're a program manager. And you say, all right, now who do I have looking over my shoulder, right, to see if I screw up? You have your your leadership and management within the agency. You've got the people at OMB that manage the entire government. You have, on the congressional side, you have your oversight committees. you got your appropriation committees. And you have this wonderful organization called the General Accountability Office. And then go back to your own organization. The other group that you have looking over your shoulder are the inspector generals. And I think sometimes in the government we have more people reviewing people than we have people actually doing the doing work. stuff, yeah. So they're risk adverse. And if they don't know you as a small business, you are a risk. So the question becomes how do you mitigate that risk? Well, one of the best ways to mitigate that risk is – 
to have an opportunity to sit down face-to-face with that program official, talk about your capabilities, talk about your past performance, talk about your certifications, talk about those things that you've done, and don't put it in terms of, I can help you because I'm a small business or I'm a veteran. You put it in terms of how I can help you with your mission, how I can help you solve your problems. So that means you've got to do your market research. You've got to know what the challenges are that the agencies are facing and what what do you have that can help them meet that need. And so access to decision makers, in my opinion, is crucial. And it seems like the people in the government, again, because of this risk adverseness, uh, it's getting harder and harder to have opportunities to meet these people. As an example, the Department of Veterans Affairs used to do a large conference every year called the, the Veteran Enterprise Symposium, where they would bring in decision makers from the VA, where people could sit down and talk to them about what their challenges are and how they could help. Well, and I'm not sure what the reasoning was, but there's one next month in November in New Orleans, but it's only for construction companies. So then the question becomes, all right, what are you going to do for IT? What are you going to do for medical? What are you going to do for for other people? And how are you going to have an opportunity to do that? And, you know, after the president said to the cabinet officials last night, I want you to cut 5% out of your budget. Right. Things like these small business conferences where you have an opportunity to talk to decision makers will probably be one of the first things to go. Marketing always is. Yes. So that's a big fear for me. The other fear I have is that the number of discrete contract opportunities in the government is shrinking. And it's because of we have less contracting officers, particularly less really qualified senior contracting officers in the government. So we have, whether you call it consolidation, whether you call it bundling, whether you call it category management, you know, pick your, your flavor of the day. What happens is there's less and less opportunities out there. So there's less and less people that actually get to participate in the federal market. And the ones that I feel sorry for, Mark, are the next generation, because it's harder and harder for a small startup company to break into the federal marketplace today than it's ever been before. Yeah, it used to be. You, know, you mentioned the uh, uh, the micro-purchase threshold. I used to bring in companies that were all business-to-business, primarily direct mail back in the 90s, catalog companies. Bring them into the government market because their average order size ranged from 300 to 800 bucks. Government average order size was larger than that. It was micro purchase. Didn't have to be on schedule to get there. Um, but if they did enough business, they started migrating towards those government contracts. It is more difficult now. And it's, you know, as, as you indicated, more increasingly difficult, especially for small businesses. There's more regulations facing small businesses than there are for any other category in the government market. Look at how long it took SBA and VA to get together to agree on a common criteria for certification of veteran-owned, what what it means. You know, get a grip. What does it mean? It means it's owned by a veteran. How difficult is that? Yeah, it's, it was, sometimes we have a tendency to overcomplicate things. Just a bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and – oh, God, never mind. Uh, I'll start screaming. So we, we had um, recently a federal court of claims decision that would have an impact on prop, possibly all small business programs. What is this? What's the uh, the the upshot here? 
the, what you're talking about is a case here in uh, Court of Federal Claims in uh, in D.C. Um, it was Electromed Corporation as one of the four plaintiffs, and then it was the United States, particularly the Department of Veterans Affairs, and it was uh, the prime vendors that VA has that distribute products to the VA. And it's a very interesting case. The case number for, for the Legal Eagles who may be listening is 18-927C. And I, I know we're, we're getting short on time, so I won't go into all the details, but what the court found was that one, what VA had done with the new modifications to its medical surgical distribution program were illegal. They were in violation of CICA, Competition Contracting Act, and they were also in violation of the Vets First program at the VA. The second thing the court found was that, yes, the four plaintiffs would be irreparably harmed by the VA's action. And in the court system, if you can overcome those two hurdles, you usually have a winner. But then what the court said was that balancing the interest of the four plaintiffs and the fact that VA broke the law um, didn't carry the weight that the VA statement that if they couldn't continue with this modification, health care for veterans would be impacted negatively. So the court allowed in spite of those other two findings, the VA to do the the modification. And what this modification does is it basically takes all small businesses and relegates them to being subcontractors at the control of the four large prime vendors. The, the, the problem here is, is that if this, if this is allowed to stand, any agency, when a small business questions or protest the fact that they didn't set something aside for small business. If the agency says, oh, well, it will impact my mission negatively, I think this case has huge ramifications for all the small business set-aside programs in the government. Yeah, my, my, my initial question would be, what justification did VA make for making that assertion, and was it adequate? Our position is, and again, we are not a plaintiff, we are not part of this lawsuit, but the VA has other tools available to buy these medical products. It has the federal supply schedules. It has national contracts. It has regional contracts. It has micro purchases. Now it has a GoVets platform. This, this would not have the severe impact that VA alleges, again, in our opinion, that it would. Yeah. From what I know of it, I'd have to agree, and I'd probably go a little further, but I won't. Because because uh, we're closing in on the end, so give me some final thoughts here. Well, just yesterday, um, it's interesting since we're talking about the, the the federal court of claims. The U.S. Court of Appeals yesterday issued a um, an opinion, and it has to do with what vets first or ability one, which trumps. And the the appeals court went back to the the, the, the original language of the law, and it went back to the decision that the U.S. Supreme Court made two years ago in the Kingdomware decision. And the Court of Appeals says that whatever VA is buying that's a contract action, it's subject to vets first. And it applies to all of VA's contract actions. So what this means is, is that now vets first trumps ability one. And the, the, the case was brought by the 
Commission for the Blind and Severely Handicapped right. and, and the Ability yeah. to Warn folks. And, and, and this is huge because th- this, for once and for all, says vets first trumps everything else at the VA. At the VA. Yes. So other agencies are not necessarily impacted by this. Correct. Okay. Um, Scott, man, thanks for coming in. Let's do this again. Love to. Thank you for the, the invitation. You bet. And uh, you can find Scott at nvsbc.org. Um, this is not my day job. I do advise uh, small contractors, and I have a program just for small contractors if they qualify as small by SBA standards. So you can find information on this by sending me an email at mark at federaldirect.net or going to federaldirect.net and clicking on the blog and looking for the small business program. And thank you very much for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. Hey, electrical contractors, I'm Matt from ABB. Are rising costs and product delays keeping you up at night? We can help you contractor better. ABB's contractor resources are designed to help you increase productivity and profitability on your commercial construction projects. Check out Contractor Better today. Visit go.abb slash contractor better. Your story. It lives in River City, where you can enjoy a metropolitan vibe and a small-town feel, where we set the standard for service and looking out for one another, where there's so much more than steak in our thriving food scene. Your story is the story of Omaha, told by those who live it and love it. Whether that's helping you keep up with the Cornhuskers or creating the content you crave. And here in the Omaha World Herald is where it comes to life. Omaha World Herald, where your story lives.